0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash BE. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.
1: TL Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 8. seven, episode eight of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy Hatton.
2: And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Larry Altman, who is here for round number seven. Larry's been here for a number of seasons and has become our sort of resident legal uh, expert, legal conversation colleague here. So uh, we are so looking forward uh, to Larry returning today to TL Talk Radio, and uh, we're going to have another conversation with him about uh, a legal issue of interest to uh, school leaders. Larry currently works as a consultant for schools, helping them develop legally compliant policies, protocols, and procedures for Title IX, Anti-Bullying, Student Suicide Prevention, Section 504, and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. He's also a distinguished member of the American Law Society and serves as an adjunct professor for Avila University located in Kansas City, Missouri.
1: So welcome back to the show, Larry. It's good to be here as always. Today, we're focusing our conversation on um, your book, *From Bullying to Sexual Violence*, that you co-authored with Steve Cohen. And as we get started, let's start with a conversation or a, a story behind the why. You know, why did you write this book, *From Bullying to Sexual Violence*?
3: Well, this is actually the second book with the same title. The first book was directed towards uh, school leaders, superintendents, teachers. Uh, this one, we changed the formatting so that it's more attuned to what parents need to do to protect their children and to understand what they can do to help their children when they're in difficult situations. So we really changed the audience, if you will, this time, uh, and, of course, updated the book. The other book was four years old and inserted uh, materials that did not were not available to us then or also, as in my last chapter of this book, started to address COVID-19.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So let's uh, dive into the book. In the initial chapters, you talk about federal and state compliance. And with that backdrop of parents as the audience, why is this an important topic? Why should uh, parents be aware of the federal and state compliance?
3: Well, I continue to read cases, and I'm asked to consult in cases with parents about when they have a situation with their child at school, and they are not aware of what they need to do to alert the school to the situation at hand. So what we wanted to do this time was to give parents insight of what they must do to alert superintendents, Title IX coordinators, uh, people in charge of school districts that their child has a problem and be, be specific. You don't need to use any magic words, but you can't be in general wording. Hmm. So what we're urging parents to do is follow what the fed, federal requirements and state requirements are is to put somebody on actual notice. That there is a problem for my child and the problem is so and so did so and so to him or her and that puts the school on actual notice that they need if they have policies in place to start the process of investigating the parents complaint
1: so it sounds like the resource is really guided for um, parents to better understand um, how they can Help schools be partners in determining challenges with bullying and address situations that may be occurring. Um,
3: and you've used a good word right there, partners. That's what we are. We, we don't work in a vacuum. And I say we because remember I have administrative background being inside of a school district. Parents and the children are the focus of our school. Uh, they are, quote, customers, if you will. We, we, they, we are there to help them. And so we need their help to let us know specifically when there's a difficulty or situation with their child, because we are in this together. It benefits both sides.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that you highlight that because it does really benefit both sides. We need to be really um, thoughtful about our learners and their experiences as they are in our schools and how their experiences extend beyond our schools. Um, And in the book, you also focus focus on mental health issues that could be as a result of bullying, or even in the COVID times that we're experiencing. So let's talk about that. What are some of the ways that schools should respond to those challenges that students are experiencing?
3: Well, again, this is where we need the parents help as well. Um, if parents let's go back a little bit, we, there is, there is medical evidence, that when a child suffers a significant trauma, traumatizing uh, incident, such as bullying, sexual sexual harassment, COVID-19 staying home, that there is the possibility of what we call trauma. Trauma can produce PTSD type symptoms. It can also create depression and the data suggests that we know going in that the second leading cause of death for kiddos between 10 and 24 is suicide. Only automobile actions kill more. So what helps us as, as administrators, is if we don't see something at school, but if the parents know that the child has undergone a traumatic event, such as the death of a family member, uh, a pet or, or or whatever, that to alert the school and, hi- and remind us or suggest to us or inform us that, hey, something's happened at home and we've noticed some changes, or we are getting our child some assistance uh, at a mental health care provider What can you guys do to help us? Now, schools should have in place policies that would link that all together. Mm -hmm. In addition, though, the school may be noticing things. Uh, The school may notice, for example, that a child who uh, is having outbursts that we've never seen before is going to seek counseling at school that we've never seen before. That's not a sign the child is bad. I'd want to know what's driving the engine. And so now it requires the school officials to get back in touch with the parents or to get in contact with parents saying, we are noticing something here that's not normal for your child help us out here what do we what are we missing coming together as a team and sharing information allows the school then to help in the educational process and working with the parents and if the parents have experts working as a team so that the child can a stay in school succeed and that benefits not just that child if the child is in a good environment and that improves the overall school environment the data shows guess what test
2: scores go up Mm -hmm. as you're talking larry i'm making a lot of connections and a lot of questions in my head around the current situation so um our listeners are going to hear this episode drop during the pandemic many schools are doing remote learning you talked about for some kids that can be a traumatic experience um what sorts of things do you share in that chapter on the pandemic that you want parents to know uh, around helping our, our learners through this?
3: Well, I think that, and this is where the school needs to team up with them. I think that right now there was a suggestion to put that uh, schools should do mental health assessments of every child that's returning to school or is online right now because not only of COVID-19, but because just of the overall climate of anger, racism, whatever. Uh, I would be telling parents that before I start that class, whether it be in school or it be online, that I would want to talk to somebody in charge of the school, the superintendent, principal of my building, and say, look, here's what we have seen in our home. Uh, There's a lot of tension. Uh, There's been a lot of, uh, and and I know parents don't want to disclose this, but it's it's helpful. Uh, We've been out of work, medical bills are out of hand, or so-and-so, a family member, got COVID-19. By putting the school again on actual notice, if the school has in place the policies, protocols, and procedures that they should have, it allows schools then to look at Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act and the Individual Disability Education Act to start looking: Do we need as school people to add services or accommodations onto this child for this child to help the child succeed and feel safe? And so I talk about that in the last chapter, but there's also a chapter in that it talks about the bystander effect which came about after the shootings we've had at Parkland and Sandy Hook, it's the same type of processing. But schools should not be operating in a vacuum right now. They should be having in place these policies so that if they're not going to assess every child when they come in, at least have a checklist available so that when their child goes online for the first time or comes to school the first time, that they can look at a checklist for each child and say, is there a problem here? In fact, the Missouri School Board Association of Attorneys has provided a model checklist for all Missouri schools to use to cover that exact point.
2: Hmm. We should link that in the show notes because that could be very helpful for us. As you're as you're saying this, I, from a, my administrator lens, I'm thinking this is this has been a concern that's been in 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 the back of our mind. Like when our kids come back, or when they're in this environment now, what can we do to support them? Because it's it's we've not we've not had this experience. We don't necessarily have this in our toolkit. Um, so I think that checklist could be helpful to at least get some conversation going around what can we do better here as school leaders to support the success, the mental health of our of our learners in this unusual time.
3: Well, not only will you benefit by taking the checklist for your learners, your staff is running into the same thing. Mm. Uh, how many staff members? have not been back in their building for a period of time. Now they come back and they're either online uh, or they're in the classroom and now they're wearing masks. They're doing things they've never had to do before. And so, as I said, not only if you have the policies and pop pop, what I call policy protocols and procedures in place, you're not only gonna assist your children and make them uh, help improve their opportunity to learn, but you can also give some uh, aid to your staff so that they know everybody's being cared for here, that we're looking after everybody. And I understand, and you're right, this has not been, last year at this time, we wouldn't have had this discussion. Who knew? Uh, But now we're in a situation that we've gone through it. And what I'm just going by the medical evidence that's on on board, we're not leaving this very soon. Uh, We're gonna be here for a while. And for all we know, we may be in this for quite a while. Uh, And and one of the, the next thing we have to think about is, we're back in school. What if this thing goes off the rails again, and we have to take them out of school again? Mm-hmm. Well, now we've doubled the hits on everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm curious, from your perspective, do you see in the six months that we've been doing this, are, are are we responding effectively to this, or is it, or is this like a a red light that's flashing that? from your perspective, from the legal perspective, that school leaders and parents need to be putting much more attention into?
3: I'm not in the – I'm at the college level. And I am concerned that we have, as you said, the flashing red light, that we need to put more I, – I don't mean to be the global person here. I would want to make sure that everybody is fo- really focused on this right now and that we get our ducks in a row, whatever you want to call it, Uh, I am concerned, I'd like to know what schools, I haven't taken any data, how many schools have implemented Mm -hmm. policy protocols and procedures that provide what they're going to do when the children return? How are they gonna communicate with parents? And parents need to be involved in this because we are talking about very sensitive. Uh, When you're talking about a mental health of a child, uh, it's a very sensitive subject. Parents don't like to share that. And what I've learned, and this is from my wife, Gail, who you've met before, Gail has just gotten her master's degree in English as a second language and has done a lot of work in cultural studies. There are some cultures that that believe that being a disabled child is, oh my gosh, you gotta lock them in a basement. Uh, And so you have that problem. Uh, You're compounding that with the problems of of the anger of what we're seeing across the country today. Uh, When you put all that together, uh, you're right. I'm wondering, are we focused enough and how are we going to finance it? I mean, mm. you're in the administrator. I was in the administrator. administrator's. It's not like we can print money in the basement.
2: <laughs> Resources uh, the are always that a challenge. Do that is the
3: federal government. Uh, but this is what I think it's called the community involvement. I think that I've talked to, so I've gotten a little annoyed of my colleagues who said, well, who's going to pay for this, write this stuff legally for our schools? And I've come back at lawyers and said, wait a minute, what are you worried about money here? Schools are part of our community. Are you telling me you won't donate five, six hours of your time to help your child's school district develop these policies? Are you telling me that if it is in the medical field, are you saying that psychologists and therapists aren't willing to help their school districts mm. develop these so they don't send a bill to schools? I mean, I'm now being that liberal-minded guy I am, but that's just how I believe. That, that it, this is a community effort now. This is not isolated. Mm. Good points.
1: So have you seen any schools or districts locally or through your research that are doing this really well?
3: I haven't seen enough data yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that, as I said, Missouri's, uh, the the Missouri group of lawyers, education lawyers have certainly put out a portfolio of things for schools to do. School has just started back up for many school districts in Missouri. I don't know. Uh, One way I will be able to determine is if I start seeing uh, one of my uh, the thing, the service I subscribe to gives me daily updates. If I start seeing lawsuits come flying around the country dealing with this problem, then the answer to the question, no, they're not.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And that to me, that's unacceptable. I mean, come on, we've had all summer to think about this and is somebody trying to tell me I'm the only lawyer in the United States of America that has figured this out. I, I can't believe that. Uh, that's can't be the case. Uh, but I'm, I, I, my reputation has always been to be aggressive in the sense of getting out ahead of a problem. Uh, and that was my, my, when I was at Kansas City public schools, that was how we prepared and I can't speak for anybody else. It's just how we did things.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So we can link that in the show notes, some of the information from that group as well for our, our listeners. Um, so let's Maybe find out some other people we can learn from or read about or some other experts in this area. Um, And we always ask some questions at the end through our sort of rapid response questions. But maybe there are some people you can point us to to check out their sites or what they're publishing.
3: Well, the sites now, and, and I think I've referenced them in the book, is that whenever I talk about psychological studies, Uh, I refer in my book to those sources. It's not something I've created. I'm very good at, I believe, and I'm very good at noting uh, those sources. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are significant, the American Pediatric Association was one of those sources to see what they've got published out there. There are children's uh, associations dealing with mental health issues. Even the CDC, with all their problems, uh, will have some information going back to this. I have found a couple of articles in Time Magazine uh, over the last several months they reference various studies, uh, that, um, uh, and I think I may have even discussed them in my book mm-hmm. and they're more since I published the book that have great resources to go back and read. And that's what I do is I don't, I, what, if I see a resource, I will then click on that resource, read what they have to say. I, I can't get through all the technical stuff they've got on there. <laughs> I try to get through the gist of it and saying, what are you really seeing? And, Then I combine that with, okay, we know this. I can then go back into my field, which is education, dealing with IDA 504 and all these other things. How do I link that back?
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And I tie that together and say, now there's where we are.
1: Yeah, you certainly are tying all of your work together. It's interesting to see. throughout the last seven episodes, you have pieces that are sort of building on each other. You know, for example, you mentioned the bystander effect, and we did a podcast on that in season four. So that's linked in the show notes. If our listeners want to learn more about that, um, you know, we've also talked about bullying with you and, and mental health through the season. So you continue to build your work and your knowledge base as an expert to share with others, curating a lot of different resources from many of the sites you just you just mentioned. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: Well, I'm, I'm going to get off the beaten path somewhat. Uh, I have been dealing with colleagues uh, in cases where they have trouble understanding what the English language means. And by that I mean is that they'll use a word and think it means something when it does not. <laughs> uh, so I'm. it's interesting because the United States Supreme Court in the last three years, one starting with Chief Justice Roberts and then earlier this year uh, with the transgender case that was before the uh, uh, Supreme Court, got after lawyers around the country for not understanding the English language. Uh, To illustrate Chief Justice Roberts, when he uh, clarified or didn't need to clarify, he just was shaking his head. If you could see in his opinion, you would have thought he was shaking his head. Schools for years have thought that when the court ruled about special education, that it was sufficient uh, if it provided any educational benefit as long as it was more than de minimis. And the Chief Justice said, we never said that. We use the word some, and the word S-O-M-E and any are not the same words. What do you, haven't you don't you understand that? And then um, in the recent transgender case, uh, Justice Gorsuch, the reason he upheld Title VII for transgender students, he said, doesn't anybody read a dictionary? Three times Congress used the word individual. An individual is one, doesn't mean group. And then he used a couple of other dictionary research. So I'm the, I am going to be writing a, a paper for publication because I do this with my students, uh, that words have meaning. And you let's not be, we've gotten sloppy. Uh, we tend to just throw words out there thinking, that's okay, it's close enough. Well, it's not. And if the Supreme Court of the United States is telling us that, and in, we have a case in Missouri where the Supreme Court of Missouri said the same thing, words have meaning, It's time for me to write that paper and get it circulated. Interesting. Because I've already had to testify in two cases where lawyers were arguing with me about a word meaning that was incorrect. I had to give them a lecture, and uh, the transcript was taken to two different district court judges, and the district court judges said, didn't you listen to Professor Altman? He tried to educate you that words have meaning, (laughs) and they got thrown out. Not me, they did. Not physically, but. Told where the door was. Yes.
1: You get it. Yes. We have that
2: problem in education too, where uh, words have all sorts of meanings to people and they're usually different. We should, and so we should I, write that's a book. My next,
3: that's my next project right now. And I'm focusing on that.
1: Yes. Well, that will be interesting. We'll look forward to uh, learning about that when you complete that project. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, Larry, to talk with us about um, from bullying to sexual violence for the parent perspective. We enjoyed hearing about your work. And to learn more about Larry's work, you can take a look at the show notes. Um, All the episodes are linked there, as well as um, some of the resources Larry mentioned, including the Pediatric Association and CDC mental health pages. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation and reflection. This episode's question, how can we be partners to create a culture of safety in our learning organizations? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode eight. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Larry.
3: Happy to do it.
2: Thanks, Larry. Good to see you again. Bye-bye. Good to
1: see you guys.